Ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely thrilled to say that I'm with uh, Just Your Average Muslim, which is the title of his book, It's Sayyid Chadri. I love that introduction. <laughs> How are you? Good, thanks. How are you, Pete? Well, it's all changed for you. Now, no longer a barrister. No, no longer practising as a barrister. Mm. Now I've got a new role. I'm working at Liverpool John Moores University. Doing what? I'm the director of the Foundation for Citizenship there, which oversees all the social engagement activity of the university because even I didn't know, you know, when the, the role first came up, just how much work the university does that's not, you know, academic, it's not about degrees, it's engaged with the communities around it. And there's loads of great initiatives that, you know, the university is involved in, where the, the students get involved volunteering in various organisations, the staff volunteer. And, for example, you know, last year, 2017, between the staff and the students, they volunteered over a million hours in the community. So there's just so much more than just you know getting a degree. So is this a new role that's been uh, created for you? Yeah, the Foundation for Citizenship has, has been around for about 20 years. And you might recall Lord Alton um, headed it up and they had these Roscoe lectures. They still have the Roscoe lectures regularly and they attract you know record crowds. And there were citizenship awards that were given out to school children at the end of every um, lecture. But the idea was that now, with Lord Alton having retired, that we'll sort of expand the work of the foundation and so rather than restrict it to the the lectures and the awards you know to cover everything that the university does that engages communities we've spoken lots of times your book uh, just your average muslim became a bestseller and it uh, you've been on my show we've talked about the conflict these days what goes on in the world but i brought you in for a particular reason which i'm really excited about and i'm really interested to listen to it you've been to Mecca. Now explain about how important your religion is to you. My religion's very important to me. Um, ever since I was about 15 or 16, obviously before then, you know, your parents tell you about your religion <clears throat> and you get to find out what it's all about. But at some stage, and it's at different times for different people, you get the conviction yourself. You either, you know, you either believe or you don't believe. And I was about 16 when I thought, you know what, this makes sense to me. And ever since then, I've been reading about my religion, you know, developing my views about my religion, because, to be fair, if you've got the same views now in your late 40s as you had when you were 16, then you've done something wrong. You should constantly be thinking about things. And I've constantly revised my views about Islam, and especially with all the media coverage over the last few years. But it's always been very important to me. What made you write the book? What was the, the what was the last catalyst to write the book? What made you? The it started off as a project really for my kids. You know, I've got young children and I was very lucky because my dad was around when I was growing up and he was a very level-headed, intelligent, sensible guy. So I had his advice there as and when I wanted it. And I benefited from it. But then I thought, well, my kids might not have the same, you know, opportunity. I might not be around when they're growing up. So wouldn't it be useful to just put some thoughts down on paper? So they've got that as a as a reference point, if you like, you know, growing up as Muslims in Britain. Because you'd think that it would get easier for the next generation. You know, when I was growing up, I knew my parents were immigrants so I knew we were a bit different, you know, we eat different food at home, speak a different language. And so the, so I was, you know, mindful of that difference. But for my kids, they're thinking, well, not only were we born here, but our parents were born here as well. So we're, you know, as British as the day is long. But 
I recognised that it wasn't that straightforward and it was becoming more difficult for many Muslims. And I thought, well, if they encounter difficulties and they've got no guidance, that might make their position a bit more difficult. So I'll do what I can to make it easier. And that's really what started the idea of the book. But then once I started to put things down on paper, I realised, you know what, there's a huge audience for this information. There's so much, you know, misinformation in, the, in many sections of the media. Lots of people have got views and opinions about Muslims. So I thought, well, if I can put, a, you know, in, in one place a lot of information down that hopefully corrects misconceptions for them, whilst at the same time helping my own kids. Were you pleased with the way the book was accepted? I was. I was very, very pleased. And, you know, I, I, you know, without sounding cocky or anything, once I'd completed it, I thought to myself, this is a good book. This is a good read. I'd read this. Um, and it kind of, you know, my writing style isn't very formal. It's not off-putting. It's, it's the way I am. It's fairly converse, conversational. It's fairly relaxed. And the book comes across as being fairly relaxed as well, even though in certain parts it addresses some very important issues. And so, you know, there's bits where I'm addressing, you know, politics and what's going on in various parts of the world and how, for example, sometimes, you know, Muslims come across as just an angry bunch. So I look at, well, you know, are they justified sometimes in being angry? So although there's some serious topics, on the whole, the tone is very sort of accessible. I'm talking to Zia Chadri. Um, I've got to ask, um, before we talk about this amazing journey you went to Mecca and to talk about Mecca, what, in your opinion, you're a very intelligent man, you've got a, a, a definite view on life, what do you think is going to happen with all this negativity towards Muslims? Do you see the end as a frightening end or can you see hope at the end? I'm an optimistic person, always have been. I'm one of those, you know, glasses half full kind of people. So I would say there's, there's hope, but I'm not complacent. What I would say is that, you know, <laughs> There's no point being unrealistic and saying, oh, don't worry, everything will be fine. It won't be fine unless people do the work. And, you know, we're seeing that generally in, in, in life and politics now. Unless you make the effort, you know, you will not get the positive outcomes. And so from a Muslim point of view, often what, one of the things I say when I'm with Muslim friends and they're critical of, you know, certain sections of the media who are having a go at Muslims unfairly, my response is, well, what are we doing about it? You know, it's all very well sitting at home complaining, but unless you're prepared to engage with people and have the conversations, and it might be, you know, uncomfortable up to a point, unless you're prepared to have those conversations, you can't just complain that other people have got the wrong idea about you. Explain what Mecca is. Mecca is a city in modern Saudi Arabia, which is the birthplace of the Prophet Muhammad. So it's very important in Muslim history because, of course, we believe that the Prophet Muhammad was, um, well, a prophet of God, but also a messenger of God in that he brought a message, which was the Quran. Now, the Quran is the holy book of Muslims. You know, you can't be a Muslim without believing in the Quran. So it's that important. And so that being his birthplace has historical significance, but it also forms part of um, the there are five pillars of Islam, five sort of duties, if you like. And the pilgrimage to Mecca is one of those duties. So every Muslim, if he or she is healthy enough and can afford it, should at least once in their lifetime perform the Hajj. Now, the Hajj is a pilgrimage to Mecca that takes place every year at a particular time. 
Now, if you go at that time, that's your obligation fulfilled, and you have performed the Hajj. If you go any other time of the year, you can still go. You can still, you know, perform a pilgrimage, but it won't count as your obligatory pilgrimage, and that's called an Umrah, and that's what I went on on the Umrah. Now, what made you do it? Um, <laughs> it was my wife. Um, it was her idea. She'd been before, um, about fifteen years ago, before we got married. You'd not been. I'd not been. Right. I'd not been. She'd been with her family, and had a very nice experience. And, you know, in the last 15 years, she'd regularly said, I'd like to go again. But to be perfectly honest with you, I wasn't keen at all. I just, you know, I just didn't fancy it, even though I was, you know, very committed to my religion. But I just thought this idea of going somewhere else in another part of the world to, you know, be more religious or more spiritual. And she'd often say, I'd ask her, why do you want to go? And she'd say, you know, it's a very spiritual experience. And I maybe a bit cheekily would say, well, if you want a spiritual experience, wake up at three o'clock in the morning, go outside, sit in the garden and look at the stars. You know, when there's all peace and quiet, you're not disturbed by anybody and it's just basically you and God. I said, why didn't you do that? And sometimes I think, you know, religious people, we're looking for the, the big things, the big gestures, whereas if you're religious, I would say God's all around you and if you really want to find him, you can, you can find him without looking too far. So that was her justification and that was my sort of, you know, fobbing her off a lot of the time and not let me stop you there because what you just said is really interesting so let's widen before we go Mm. on the trip let's widen the so what is your views with your views like that what is your views on mecca uh rome uh cathedrals because you just said if you want to find god god's everywhere Mm. so the whole thing is encapsulated there isn't it absolutely i mean i would take the view that to be a, a muslim you don't have to i mean obviously there's the obligation where once in your lifetime you're supposed to go but to be a muslim it's about i mean the word itself means submission to god now that's not a once in a lifetime thing that's every minute of every day you've got to be mindful of god and so sometimes i think that what some religious people do is they they want to tick a box and so whether it's the once a week box or the once in a lifetime box or let's say for muslims fasting the month of Ramadan, well, that's 30 days. Well, you've ticked that box. Or praying five times a day, that's ticked that box. But for me, religion is much more than that. And it's really about the way you are, the way you behave all the time. And so for that, you don't need to go to a particular place. That's, you know, the way I interact with you defines how I am as a Muslim. Now, if, for example, I'm rude and obnoxious with you, but I go on the pilgrimage, well, that doesn't make me any better a Muslim. Or if I'm rude and obnoxious to you, and I go and say my prayers. Well, that doesn't make me any better a Muslim. So it's really we've you know we've got to understand what's the purpose of it. Which is really interesting because if it's like the ones that go to church five times a day, but then go out and do something bad, and then get so it's it's the whole it's the whole religious thing, it, and it's something that we've all got our opinions on, and nobody will ever change it. So I'm talking to Zia Chadri, and we're now going to go to Mecca because I'm really excited. So you didn't particularly want to go. Family were there. You're on the plane. Tell me what you were feeling on the plane. I was feeling it was really before the plane, before we we embarked on the journey. I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm going to do this, I've got to go with the right attitude. So I can't go thinking I'm only going because of my wife, because I won't I won't benefit and it will be a waste of time. So I need to be 
open-minded when I go. So, for example, I need to be open-minded about the religion because obviously, you know, when you, you know, part of the thing with modern Mecca is there's loads of skyscrapers and fancy buildings and shopping malls and stuff. And so really that's about as, you know, contrary to what religion's all about as you can get. But I thought, well, you know what you're going to be facing there. Put those thoughts out of your mind. Go with an open mind. Also, I've got my views about Saudi Arabia, you know, the politics of Saudi Arabia. And in fact, you've not long been back. You went right in the middle of right. the storm. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, Another storm. And I, yeah. you know, every single day in the news, it was all about, you know, what, what had happened in, in Turkey and, and the Saudis' involvement. And so, you know, you're going there with those views about how they operate. And again, I thought, well, you're not going there for any political reason. Just put that out of your mind. Try and put it out of your mind and try and just be focused on what you're going for. Let me ask you, Saudi Arabia, we know what's going on. Is Mecca treated as a different part of the country? Is it treated any differently like like the, Ro- uh, the, the, the Rome, which is Vatican City? So is... It, it, there was one very practical difference, and that is in Mecca and Medina, non-Muslims aren't allowed. Right. Uh, now, whereas in other cities in Mecca, so the, uh, in Saudi Arabia, so the capital, for example, Riyadh, you know, that's just a, a very busy cosmopolitan city with loads of businesses and, and people from all around the world uh, operating there. But Mecca and Medina are exceptional in that sense because you, you, everybody down to the staff in the hotels, everybody is Muslim. Right. And, of course, you know, everybody's aware of the historical significance of those places. Mecca was where the Prophet was born, um, but he was persecuted in Mecca. And so he went to, uh, he migrated to Medina. So that's a city about 250 miles away and where he was very well received and he set up home there. So those two cities are important, but they are, uh, as you say, you know, different to other cities in in Saudi. Mecca itself is a central point that you walk around. Explain what that is. So in Mecca, um, and we actually, so for example, we flew to Jeddah. Now that's about an hour away. So from Jeddah, we then went on a journey to Mecca. And when you go to Mecca, you're supposed to be, and this is an interesting part of the the whole, the ritual side of it. All the men have to dress in just two pieces of plain white unstitched cloth when you get to Mecca. And when you, because the first thing you do when you get there is you have to walk around a building called the Kaaba, it's a cube-shaped building. Lots of people have seen pictures of it. And you always see, like, 24 hours a day, there are Muslims who are walking around the Kaaba. That's one of the main rituals of the pilgrimage. But in o- that's what you do first. But in order to do that, you have to be dressed in a particular way. And the significance of that is you're there to present yourself in front of God. And in front of God, you're all the same. Whether you're a multimillionaire, so jewelry and everything off, yeah, everything off. Yeah, right. it's just literally yeah. just two pieces of white cloth. And what about your wife? What how did she dress? She just they just uh, women wear their normal whatever they'd right. wear, so they'd be covered up. Right. But again, they'd you know for example they wouldn't be wearing fancy dresses and things. They'd just be wearing whatever simple outfit because it would be covered by a an outer garment. Um, and the children don't have to. It's not a, you know an obligation for them to dress in that way. But interestingly enough, my two boys who were only twelve and ten, they said no, no, we want to wear that as well. So they you know wanted to dress the part as well. So we had you know as a family, we were that was the first thing that we did when we got there. Put our bags in the hotel, checked into the hotel, and then our the the Kaaba was just five minute walk away, and then we went there to carry out this. Tell me how you felt when you first saw the Kaaba. <laughs> You know, lots of people have different experiences. I wasn't 
I wasn't blown away by it, but the reason for that is, you know, nowadays you can see the carb on YouTube. So we'd watch videos before we went, so we were kind of familiar with it. And so it wasn't that much, it didn't have that impact that it has for somebody who's come from a village in, you know, in India and they've never seen anything like this. Um, so I didn't have that same wow factor, but I did know at the end of the day, I'm here, I'm here in the Kaaba. These are the sort of, you know, this is where the prophet was walking 1400 years ago. And so all oh, that was very fascinating. And then when you become part of the ritual, that's when you start to be moved by it. Now we see and we've heard um, terrible accidents uh, when it's been too busy. Mm. Was it busy when you went? It was busy, but th those accidents often happen at the time of the Hajj. Because when everyone when, was set. exactly because yeah. then you've got like two three million people there. Oh, two it's just, or three million. Oh, it's 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 you know the 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 stories you hear because interestingly enough, the Hajj this year was in August and my sister went with her husband, and when they came back and, and she was you know telling stories about how they were walking around the Kaaba and she literally had to grab hold of his arm and you know for dear life because the crowd would just carry you. You know, she could just end up miles away from him. And there, where there's, you know, millions of people, it's easy for people to get lost. And in fact, when we went, even though there weren't those crowds, it was busy enough. But it wasn't, for example, sometimes in the month of Ramadan, it gets really busy. Or if it was, say, Christmas, everyone, you know, a lot of people are on holiday from around the world, so it can be busy. But when we went in, you know, in October, it wasn't too bad. But interestingly enough, in one part of it, we found this old lady who had become estranged from her group she was basically lost and she couldn't speak the language she couldn't speak english she and 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 it was my 12 year old who started to engage with her and find out what the problem was and luckily she had a, a phone number written on a piece of paper so he managed to grab somebody use their phone and get people from her group to come back and find her now that's when it's not busy and she got lost. And so when it's really busy, it's quite dangerous. How long do you spend walking around? Is there a, a time limit? or there are, You're supposed to do seven circuits, as it were. And it all really, I suppose, depends on how close you are to the Kaaba. Now the place has expanded and expanded and expanded to accommodate the number of people. So that you could be doing your seven circuits, you know, a few hundred yards back on the third floor, in which case you have to do... Uh, seven very wide circuits. We were actually on the ground floor by the car. So there's different levels. There's different levels. Because yeah. it's so busy. Because it's so busy. And so what they've done is they've built the mosque around it and it yeah. just stretches back about a mile, really. Is it commercialised like Vatican City? There's parts of it. I mean, when you come out of... So the actual Kaaba, there's nothing there. It's just, a, it's just a worshipping facility. And wherever you look, all you'll see is space to pray. And that's all people are doing, either reading the Quran or praying. And the only thing you'll get in there are, are, are you know, water fountains. That's it. But when you come out of that area, which is called the Haram, the whole sort of the mosque area, then you've got hotels and shops. And there it's very commercial because you can imagine when you've got millions of people a year arriving at this place, there's a, a lot of stuff you can sell them. What did you feel, you and your family, after you sat down after doing it? Everybody has different experiences and different feelings. And I went there, as I said, not really expecting too much, to be perfectly honest. But once I was there, once I'd participated in this ritual, I, I, you know, there was something about it that just made me think, this is what life's all about. It clarified that we're all the same. 
and there's nothing special about us individuals. We're all sort of, you know, human beings and there's millions of them walking the earth and there are thousands just here where I am in Mecca. But they're all submitting themselves to God. They're only here for one purpose and that is God. And that symbolism of the Kaaba and you're walking around the Kaaba, you know at the time that all the Muslims in the world, when they pray, for example, they're facing the Kaaba. So it's like the world's or the Muslim world's attention is focused on that place. And the symbolism is it's focusing on God. And so when you're there, that's all you really think about. It's as kind of as close as you can get in many respects to God. And so that's what I was thinking. I'm part of something where everyone's doing the same thing, in, you know, worshipping the same creator, knowing that when we die, we're going to go back to the same place. And it's interesting. One of the things I picked up in this trip was when people are doing the circuits of the Kaaba, obviously there's a constant ebb and flow. So people are joining and people are leaving the circuit, but it keeps on going. And I thought, well, that's a really interesting metaphor for life. There's people being born all the time. There's people dying all the time. But the constant is God. You know, we're not here forever, but God is. How long has this pilgrim, pilgrimage been going? Has it always been going since? For, since yeah, since forever. the time of the, since the time of the prophet. So, and in fact, we believe that the the building, the Kaaba, was already well. It was already there at the time of the prophet. He didn't build it at the time. It was. Well, the, the history of it, we believe, is that it was Abraham who built it. So it goes back well before the prophet. Abraham built it as a house of God, a house of worship for God. But over time, people began to um, put their, they began to worship different gods and they had idols and they started to put the idols in the Kaaba. So when the prophet came along, it was still being used for a religious purpose, but not the one that he was uh, advocating. And so he said, no, it's not idol worship. You only worship one God and we're going to clear it of those idols. That's interesting because Jesus went into the money lenders and threw them all out. So, so many similarities, so many similarities. Can you go inside it? No, the, the the general public can't. Is it can't. a building inside? Yeah, it is a building yeah. inside. People do go inside, you know, it, people go inside to clean it, for example. Um, and one thing people often don't know is when you look at a picture of it, it looks black and gold. Um, that's a cover. That's a cloth cover which gets replaced every year. They spend all year making, you know, this cover and then, then it gets replaced and then the next year, uh, you know, likewise. But the actual building is a very simple stone structure, you know, cube and do they ever have to close everything down to work on getting it repaired yeah what they do they do that immediately after the hajj ah, because right. you've just had yeah. you know like millions of people yeah. so you've got to clean it all up and and, and the cleaning is non-stop and while we were there this you know they're, they're very well organized as you can imagine now and they sort of section bits off so you can't go there while they clean it in minutes and then they move to the next section because it's all marble but they have to, you know, they're constantly washing and cleaning it. It's fascinating. And it's the most religious, uh, sacred place in the world. Uh, for Muslims, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Uh, that's Mecca. And then the secondary one is Medina. Are you pleased you went? Very, very pleased. I mean, considering I was reluctant to begin with, you know, when I went. And we went to Medina as well. And that's where the prophet's buried. So we went to the mosque where he's buried. And that was a, a you know, a, a different experience as well and, and nice in its own way and significant in its own way. But as a family, we thought, you know what, we just wish we were back in Mecca because there was something about that place that really was, you know, it was moving. And, you know, being part of something where there's this constant remembrance of God, I found that fasc fascinating.